Hello everybody, and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? The answer's quite easy this week. It's part two of our DMG walkthrough. So, it's not just me, it's my girlfriend Baz. How are you doing, Baz? Hello, mate. I'm alright, thank you. Is it part two or is it 2.5? We, we had a, we had a <laughs> Don't start it. the edition, boys. That's <laughs> the last thing we need. <laughs> no, restart them. Oh, well, we, we have done... Um, loyal listeners will remember that a couple of shows ago, pre-guests... We had guests that kind of bumped our schedule a little bit, didn't we? A, a welcome diversion. Um, we we started our read through of the Dungeon Master's Guide five years after it was published, so, <laughs> so On point as always. Didn't, didn't feel the need to be <laughs> to be rushed the second part out. <laughs> I know people have been on tenterhooks. <laughs> they have. They've got to the end of chapter five and thinking, but I still don't know how to run an adventure. What will I do? Well, your your prayers have been answered. We're back <laughs> to finish the job. <laughs> <laughs> I've been inundated by sacks of mail saying, "But how does it end?" Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you're going to find out. But we did have a we did have a, a a bonus episode out of this too, didn't we? Which um, was very well received. Thanks to anybody who came back to us uh, with with feedback and comments about our randomly generated adventure. We rolled a lot of dice mm. in anger, didn't we? And um, and got some really good stuff out of that. And uh, and yeah, just an, an awful lot of feedback over the last couple of weeks for our last couple of guests as well. Since we last spoke about DMGs, we've had Mike Merles, Kate Welch, and Mike Mason um, on the show. So yeah, really, really good to have people come and talk to us about gaming at all different kinds. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we've got more guests lined up. So uh, fear not, it'll not just be me and Baz, but for now, it is. So yeah. we're going to talk to you about the DMG again, because that's good. I'll just quickly mention, actually, Anthony, Jim, Graham, Thomas, Duncan, uh, a whole brace of new Patreon supporters as well. So thanks very much, you guys. You're the guys that keep us on the air, keep us motivated, and give us that little bit of pull to go out there and, and ask special guests to come on and speak to you. Yeah, thanks very much for your support with that, guys. It's really, really lovely to see people just chuck us a quid or a couple of quid every month. It genuinely keeps the wheels on this bus going round. Without you, we would have to like invest in yogurt pots and string and shout a lot to get a message out there. <laughs> I might have to sell some real books, and I'd be loved to do that. Yeah, that's true. Speaking of old books, said <laughs> I have in my hand. I'm going to open it and close it on mic. There you go. That's oh, the nice. Of, well, that's the sound of a DMG clapping, <laughs> which no one can see. <laughs> that whole riddle the Sphinx always asks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got a Dungeon Master's Guide for uh, the fifth edition, the current edition of Dungeons and Dragons. So uh, we we did an overview of pretty much the first half of the book last time out, and we've done a whole bunch of random rolls as well. And if you are following along at home, well, I think we're leaving. We're carrying on from chapter six, which is uh, presently so. called Between Adventures. So <laughs> this could be the jam in the podcast sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I think this is interesting because it's something that quite a lot of games seem to be doing now. I say quite a lot. I can think of at least two others. So <laughs> Blades in the Dark and the new Warhammer edition have uh -huh. a, a downtime kind of between them. In fact, we did a downtime episode. We did. Uh, a, a few months back, actually. If people want to go scrolling back through, you can you can find that. But I think it is a good addition here that people are thinking about what happens when you're not adventuring and there's there's mm. something going on. I uh, I love this kind of stuff. Uh, I love it so much. I wrote King of Dungeons, basically explicit about <laughs> this is what it is. It's the bit between the adventures. This this for me is. I'm really glad it's got a chapter in the Dungeon Master's Guide because I think when you start out with fantasy role playing games, um, 
the the dungeon is everything and if it's not the dungeon then it's the wilderness bit and if it's not the wilderness bit it's the town bit and and everything else just kind of gets hand waved a little bit but mm. i really like all those little bits that kind of glue those three parts of the game together i really like um i like having stuff that's just in the background and it can come in and out as much as you want it to and sometimes it comes front and center in games have you ever noticed how when you sit down to run a con scenario and you're just trying to get the players to accept the job so you can get on with the game that bit can sometimes be half an hour of the best role playing you'll see all day it's, yeah. <laughs> there's there's always a negotiation about price and there's always a little bit of shopping and and although sometimes as, as gm you might roll your eyes and think can we just get on with the game if you if you just sit back a bit you can hear some really good stuff going on people to kind of want to talk in character and they want to stamp their their authority on the game a little bit and get involved that that first half hour is always really good and that's always that's before you've even gone into the the first keyed encounter on in your notes um and and that's what this bit's about isn't it yeah i think excuse me it's one of the things you can get and it it calls it how it is things like uh, planting seeds and foreshadowing and that kind of stuff Mm. and that's where your, your gm or dm in this case can get involved a little bit more like I say it is good to sit back and listen to the players talk amongst themselves if they're happy doing that. It's also good to start um, throwing some flags up about what's to come in the adventure yeah. ahead and that kind of thing. So it's nice to see that that's stuck in here because because it's in the between adventures bit. That's something that you think about every time you're you, you're going on to your next adventure rather than just being a one thing. I think if it's just a separate bit of advice on its own, you might think, oh yeah, for shadow, I remember that, and then kind of get it lost. But because it's uh, put in a section that's do this every time you're in between adventures it, it just gives you that reminder to keep thinking about well how can I flag up what's due to come or how can I add some theme or mood that's going to uh, indicate what the next session's going to be about that kind of stuff so I like the way they've set it up in this particular manner yeah I agree and I, and I think this stuff can get as much spotlight time in your games as you want it to for some groups it'll be zero like none at all it's like a, you know where, where is the next dungeon where is the next piece of experience point coming from and then for other groups it might be no 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 actually well let's talk about setting up a business or like crafting some magic items um mm. and, and everyone will have different tolerances for that i think i think something they don't address particularly well in the book for this point is what happens when you've got half your players want to do some downtime and the other half don't and that mm. might be something that's beyond the purview of a dungeon master's guide anyway i don't know but if there's one person who just wants to go shopping and wants to negotiate every arrow that they buy and every spell component that they get and everybody else is checking Twitter and like yawning and stretching thinking where's my mission then then you've got an issue I suppose haven't you yeah definitely and that's just something you've got to manage at your own table I think I don't, I'm not sure the DMG can probably tell you too much about that or any, mm. any guide particularly mm. I think one of the things that stands out to me as well is you've kind of got it feels a bit admin-y as well when it goes on about sable magic items or how much training costs or if you're going to build something how long it would take and how many gold pieces and this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. I kind of like that there's there's an indicative level for that kind of stuff but also it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's downtime activities anymore it then feels like a a bookkeeping exercise rather than stuff that will be happening in between your adventures yeah I mean in fairness there's not a whole host of rules here and there could Mm. be and in previous editions of D&D there's been entire source books built around this stuff so let's, let's, let's talk about what we're talking about here so in the downtime activities that get coverage in the book we've got building a stronghold carousing, crafting magic items uh, gaining renown 
performing sacred rites, running a business, selling magic items, uh, sewing rumours and training. So there's a list of, what's that? Is that about 10 things, something like that? It's obviously not an exhaustive list, but any one of those sections, as I say, uh, like, you know, building a stronghold, back in the days of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons and the old basic D&D, that was the end game. And, and there was yeah. a huge amount of detail for building castles and spending gold on each window and each each turret and each crenellation would have a cost and volumes and, and you could go mad with your scientific calculator and your graph paper doing it. Hmm. It gets it gets three paragraphs at a table in the TMG, which Great. is probably, it's enough for me. I'll, I've never been that bothered. <laughs> yeah. I think what I'd like to see, and perhaps there isn't in other books, but I'd perhaps like to see something around how you'd build up a community or something. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sort of thinking of dipping back to Forbidden Lands, which I've had a look at recently, and all you've got as well, and that yeah. has a bit more about um, hiring a baker or what what you do with your stronghold when you wandered off from it. Like, you know, will people <laughs> come and try and break into it and that kind of thing? And um, so, yeah, it's quite like touch. I'm, I'm not sure whether there are more or less now. Now we've, well, we've started discussing it, if you know what I mean. Well, interestingly, um, Matt Colville, who's uh, who's a, a now a very very famous uh, YouTuber, a phenomenon. Um, he did a Kickstarter based on expanding the stronghold rules ostensibly and raised yeah. millions of dollars. Now, most of that went into the, the add-on stuff about building recording studios, setting up streaming and all of that. But it was off the back of a strongholds book. So that does mm. seem to scratch an itch that D&D players have is they do. True. <laughs> it does seem to be a thing about like, I want to build a wizard's tower. I want to do stuff. And and that kind of um, that kind of lonely fun definitely has its place if you can. But it used to be called blue booking, didn't it? The stuff you could do in between sessions, and you could just like you know scribble it down in your book and pass it round. And now you can email your your DM between sessions, and it can be as much fun as you want. I think there's enough here to generate interest. Yeah. Um, I think interestingly, if players knew that there were rules for it, they might vote to do it more often is it one of those things where the rules have to be there and announced because otherwise I'm not sure it would occur to people to go um, let's go out and celebrate that dungeon crawl and uh, let's go out on the town what happens GM because there is an answer to it in this book but if the players don't know that that's a possibility maybe they just sort of shy away from declaring that as their action for the night yeah maybe I sort of relate it back to the fallout uh, video game series that the more recent iterations are base building so now everybody builds a base because they uh, can right? Right. you know if you've got a hammer everything looks like a nail all of a sudden so I think <laughs> you might be onto something there but if there are no rules you don't really think about it too much you might actually GM like well we want a base and we start to have a base of operations for our D&D crew but, yeah. if, but if you've got specific very specific rules then you'll want to check them out and work out what the options are and do the good one yeah, well, having written King of Dungeons pretty much explicitly about the stuff that happens in between missions and, and quests, I shied away from writing too much rules for it because I think it's a really good kind of free-form um, conversational piece between tables if they're really up for it, is, um, is you can definitely do that. And we'll see whether that's successful or not. I think you can either give it loads of rules or not too many, but it's nice to know that it's there. And, and as you say, Matt, I think it's the right place for it to be in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Smack bang in the middle, it's kind of like without this kind of glue you're running a very episodic campaign not that there's anything wrong with that but I think after a while that might start to pull if there wasn't any kind of like through story going on in the background yeah and I think certainly with D&D it gets to the point where you start to get 
um, bunches of gold pieces, don't you? Mm-hmm. At first, you scrabble around a bit, and then you get all your good stuff and find lots of magic items. And then it gets to a point where you're getting bags of gold, and you you don't really you can't really buy magic swords with it anymore. Yeah. So you're wondering what else to do with it. So having something to pump your money into, I think that's just a natural consequence of the way the game works in terms of you accumulate wealth, and you need something yeah. therefore to funnel that wealth into. Well, funnily enough, fifth edition D and D is is a bit loosey goosey on this whole gold piece thing. It really mm. is. There's nothing actually to spend your money on. When you can buy a longsword for like 10 gold pieces or whatever it is, and the first thing you find in the dungeons of Ruby were 500 gold, then swords aren't an issue for you anymore and never will be again. <laughs> but you don't actually, you don't get XP for gold like you used to. You can't go to magic shops. We're going to get onto the magic items chapter in just a sec. But you can't really go buying Holy Avenger swords. It's It's kind of a you can end up writing down quite large numbers next to your platinum pieces and your electron pieces and the rest of it. There isn't actually anything to do as in the rules for this at all. So I mm. guess you have to go building strongholds and stuff, otherwise what are you going to do with it? Um, yeah, it's kind of glossed over a bit really, money in D&D these days. Yeah, I think that's fair enough in terms of trying to put the focus on exploration and adventure rather than on accumulating coins. But Yeah, yeah. But it's still a big lure, and in fact, chapter seven, the very next chapter, is quite a hefty it's chapter. Treasure, yeah. <laughs> and it's called Treasure, and it's all about the stuff that gets put into the dungeons and other places, so that I guess to encourage you to go down there and get it. Now, mm. I don't know. I have never been into magic items, particularly. It doesn't really float my boat. I've never been worried about them. Not in any game, really. I've never been. You mean never a no, not really. Well, a film was a little bit different, wasn't it? Because you would have your your sword or your dagger that you had um, when you generated your character, and it would it would spur you on to go and do things in the world. So you would have to go and find out who made it, uh, what it was forged in, where its sister blade is, all of that kind of stuff. So it folded back into the stories. Mm. The I'm a massive fan of D and D, as you know, but I've got to say the idea of like finding ones of fireballs just laying around in treasure hoards hmm. underneath a goat just uh, never never really worth me I never, was never that bothered enough to write them on my on my character sheets just not that bothered and the plus one swords and plus one armors can die in a fire because that's yeah. just rubbish no, yeah I know what you're saying I can't remember who I played with it's quite amusing and they always used to play the baddies they had like magic potions Mm. And whenever the character's bloodied or something like that, I get to a certain point where like the baddie knew that he was going to die and the game was up, and he just spent his action smashing all his potions and stuff and <laughs> <laughs> dropping his wand into the lava and all that kind of just so the players couldn't have it. <laughs> wow. Which I thought was quite amusing. But yeah, after a while it became just spiteful. But the first time it happened, it was like, that's quite funny. <laughs> the, yeah. the, you know, the evil sorcerer goes, well, do you know what? I'll screw you guys. I'm burning all my stuff and taking it with me and leapt into Mount Doom. <laughs> You're like, oh, you bugger. He's been shooting with that wonder fireballs for the last 10 rounds and now he's taking it with him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there is a thing about that. I mean, if you're going to put magic items in the hands of the baddies, the baddies going to die because that's the way the game works. So then they end up in the hands of the players and then you get around this this whole story about, oh, no, I've given my players too much stuff and they can nuke anything from orbit now. What am I going to do? I mean, one of the things I do like about 5th edition is that they've moved completely away really from saying like oh you can't have a ring of invisibility until you're at least eight eight and a half level that doesn't really (laughs) happen anymore because i think you know actually a ring of invisibility which is a fairly powerful item 
it's really cool if you get that super early in the game it's really cool because it because it makes things happen and that's what that's where magic items really work for me is when they make things happen in the game they're not just solutions to problems but they actually make you go forward and try other stuff um yeah. so i love for example i like artifacts i think artifacts are super cool uh but i think plus one chain mail of of meandering is not not gonna get me very excited no i'm i'm entirely with you actually to be fair i remember playing several games back in the youth where you'd have a plus one sword until you found the plus two sword and you're throwing plus one sword away and use the plus mm-hmm. two one instead and save for rings of protection and various other things that you just kind of got a slightly bigger number on it so this other yeah. thing that's supposedly a enchanted artifact you just throw in the bin or give to sort of another less fortunate player so you can carry on using the better one <laughs> that takes literally all the magic out of it for me it does a bit doesn't it and, and we've got about, I don't know how many pages have we got of these things quite a few it's, uh, well, yeah, it's about 100 pages of magical items here but I, I've read it I've read the whole 100 pages and a lot of it is just like reading through a list of stuff ring of jumping oh my god you'll never guess what it does I mean, <laughs> it's. I, I find this stuff a little bit tedious. I don't want to be too down on it because you know, but magical stuff should be magical. It should break the rules, not refer you to the spell of the same name. That's not breaking the rules. That's just uh, giving you another slot. I don't know. It just feels a bit adminy. Takes all the magic out of it. There's not enough randomness in here. There's there's not enough. There's not enough magic, really. So yeah, I don't. I don't really disagree. I think some of the the bits that I do like is there's a table of special features, for example, that says you yeah. know who made it, and then depending on whether it was the drab or um, the fay or whatever else, there's like some property that that item now has because it was made by this particular group. Mm. So that feeds back into the you know the the myth of the world and all the rest of it, and it's a little bit Tolkien in that kind of like you know mithril and oh elven chain and all this kind of stuff. So if you say it's, uh, I don't know, it's an elemental air mm. item and it's it's light and you know the spirits lifted up and stuff like that, anything like that that adds into the feel of the story or the feel of the background, I, th- I like that and I like that there's like a minor properties table as well for little things that things can have as well and quirks and that kind of stuff. So yeah. I think all those kind of tables are good. I think we've just got tons and tons of tables which are portion of insert spell here or you know a gem worth roll this random number to take a, work out how many gold pieces that's probably less interesting mm-hmm. but the extra bits where it's like who was this made by or what quirk does it have or is it cursed or things like that I think they're much more you know there's, there's stuff there that, to get your teeth into yeah these are the book items I've been a bit down on it and perhaps I shouldn't be because I think there's so much stuff in here it's a whole bunch of sacred cows that's been in D&D forever so they feel they had to just put it in a game Um, and at least it is in the Dungeon Master's Guide Um, a lot of this stuff was in the Player's Handbook last edition round because Mm -hmm. it was there as a bit of an entitlement and you needed to keep up with your arms race you had to be at plus two by the time you'd hit a certain level otherwise you'd be behind there's less of that now so it's there for the DM to put in to their adventures if they want to or not I guess the game makes assumptions that you don't have to have magic items which is well I don't know I don't know if that really stands up if somebody's got a plus three sword then they are just a lot better than their companions <laughs> <Just are. laughs> who don't have one yeah. <laughs> who don't have one yeah um, I think but... you're right there's like deck of many things and stuff like that in there that yeah. have been there 
you know, for decades. So to take them out probably feels like you know that somebody would be asking, "Where's my bag of holding?" If it wasn't yes. in there, and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think maybe it's just the writing as well, because it's all to do with spells. And, and I've never been um, a person to want to play magic using classes. Fine enough, I always go with fighters and rogues and barbarians, and it's always a bit martial for me. It's just a preference, really. So mm. I've never really been into reading spell lists and reading about magic items. They, they just read a little bit like spells and it's a little bit loyally and the language is always a bit precise about cones of effect and uses per day and that kind of stuff um, I don't know I like, I prefer the stuff like the artifacts and the sentient items that come along at the end which are really big and impressive and a little bit more random with you never quite know what you're going to get and you're having to fight against it quite a bit because mm. I, I like the stories like Elric's Sword I that kind of stuff going, always yeah. appeals to me you know I really like that kind of thing I like the hand and the eye of Vecna because they're classics as well um, and those sort of things that seem to be the sort of thing that would uh, spur your party out of the pub and down the dungeon um, hmm. more than the more than the potion of gaseous form ever, ever would do I think so there's, there is some nice stuff there and they don't just make it swords and armour and stuff like that they've got um, other types of reward as well like land and supernatural gifts and knighthoods and that kind of stuff so there is some good stuff there it's, it's all just predicated on the fact that clearly D&D believes that this is why you want to play its game is to get mm. these things and, and that's not the thing that's drawn me to D&D over the years I guess for me things like Potion of Gaseous Form do take me back to the good old days when I used to play the one of them that was quite cool yeah. and and that would help you get um, into the secret room or something. They'd be like, you'd use that item to then do a thing in the adventure. So I think in that particular case, that sort of example, I, I still have a fondness for because it's kind of like there'd be a secret, you know, a secret room you can only get in if you're like an inch wide or less. It's like, yeah. oh, don't forget, we've got that portion of gases for them so we can get in and, and that kind of stuff. So if there's a, a, a reason to it, which. Uh, wizards aren't going to tell you about. You've got to do it yourself, haven't you? In the way you construct mm -hmm. your game as the dungeon master. But you could you could happily look at that and think, what interesting thing can I put in my next dungeon or adventure that requires a certain special thing to get in? Yeah, and then give the players that thing. Yeah, um, I that, think that's, that's probably fair. the way to use it. Did um, back in the day when you got potions, did your dungeon master at the time let you know what was in the potion, or did you have to play a sipping and guessing game? Uh, it, it really depended on. Who the guy was in the game because because we used to have the whole like I'll just take a little sip and then I'll jump up and down and flap my arms. Nothing happened. Well, it's not a potion of flying then. Okay, right, cool, tick. And then we'd <laughs> we'd have to go down the list. It all got a bit tedious after a while. So we just a paper have a, cut. Yeah, just have a label on it, you know. <laughs> but then, but then people didn't trust the labels. Ah. <laughs> I think where we went with it because it was back in the days when your first level wizard could cast one spell and they were done for the rest of the adventure yeah. it's like that, that was the thing they could do they could identify potions and stuff just so that yeah. the player felt like he could join in a bit Yeah. so the, yeah, the wizard true. ended up holding all the potions and would dole them out depending on how he felt yeah. <laughs> do you know what actually the more you talk about it I realise that it's just the middle bit of magic items that leave me a bit cold I really like the big artefacts I say I quite like the consumable stuff too like the mm. scrolls that were turned to dust, like a scroll of lightning bolt, yeah. a one-shot thing that even the fighter could read and have a go, and it could get quite blasty. I know that breaks the rules. Don't don't at me on Twitter. I know. 
But I quite like those consumables and, and, and little things like bags of holding and so on. Yeah, but it's, it's all the other stuff in the middle. It's kind of magic item landfill. Nah, not bothered. Yeah, I, I like the unique stuff myself. Anything that says just a plus two on it, I don't care. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's there. Because, that, yeah, that I think for me that, that just sort of like... It's like you say, <laughs> if you're having all those items that are just pluses... You kind of just change your, your challenge rating of all your baddies to take mm-hmm. into account how many pluses the players have got. At which point, there's no point in having anyway. Yeah. Because you know, and if you don't, then everything's too easy for them, and so mm-hmm. they feel unsatisfied with the way the adventures go. So yeah, that's that's just a bit dull. You want some story thing to happen based on magic items, don't you? Rather just be a, a mechanical effect, I think. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose you know none of this stuff is compulsory. It's there if you want it. Uh, God knows, the adventures are full of these kind of things. Um, and I quite like that kind of shared common story that D&D players have where you can say, like, you know, did you ever manage to get Black Razor from the White Plume Mountain? That's always quite good. I like mm. that. But, you know, but conversations about how buff is your chainmail, less so. So it's there if you want it to be. Uh, I guess, I guess that, you know, th- hundreds of thousands of D&D players can't be wrong and the magic items is the reason they set out at level one. And they've got that 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 piece of the character sheet. They keep it pristine, just waiting to write down something cool. Because looting the bodies is still a thing. Yeah, I guess it comes down to another thing you mentioned earlier as well. That that there's only so much to spend your money on. So you need something else that you True. want to accumulate besides cash, especially <laughs> if it's not worth XP either. Yeah. Like, why just get gold all the time? You need something else to keep you going, don't you? Yeah, yeah. But you can't go buy any these things in the shop. That doesn't happen so much anymore. And you can't sell them either. So you know, there's no magic item economy in the game. That's been that's been taken out. Um, so ostensibly, it's now it's, they're all kind of like story items, really. They're there to, to I don't know to power the story, I suppose. I think it's one of them. Um, as we've discussed before, we like the tabley stuff at the minute, don't we? So that the more yep. that these sort of things leading to, you've got tables of interesting things. Mm-hmm. I think that the more interesting those sort of chapters up into reading future, or to not necessarily read verbatim but to roll dice on and see what kills the happens. Yeah I mean there, there's loads of tables at the front I had to do this a bit um, where we were doing some adventures last year for our patrons. Um, I rolled up some treasure hoard stuff. It was quite fun actually doing little bits, little um, piles of gems and art objects and stuff like that. I'm trying to imagine why a hobgoblin's got a painting <laughs> that's quite nice um, but yeah but then you roll again and then you find out they've got like a potion and a scroll and a ring and it's it. There are so many items in here that you genuinely are getting potluck if you're using these tables. They're they're almost too random because yeah. <laughs> there's pages of them. Yeah, mantle of spell resistance. <sighs> Don't know. Anyway, All right, uh, let's move on. Shall we? <laughs> we're, we're risking getting stuck. There's part yes. three awaits us, and that okay. says master of rules, which yes, sounds like does. something we should be involved in. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. So um, there's there's three massive parts to the DMG. So part one was about um, creating uh, the, your universe and your world. And part two was the nitty gritty, which included the treasure thing we just talked about, creating your adventures and your NPCs. And uh, that's kind of where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? Mm. But then part three, this is like your hacker's toolkit for you've got your game of D&D, you've got your world, you've got your adventures. But then, and I quite like this, this is like no one said you ever have to use the rules the way we wrote them. What are you going to do? What levers are you going to pull? What dials are you going to move to make it your game of D&D as opposed to the one that gets played on some Twitch stream or at the club at the other table? 
your D&D game can be whatever you want. And I think lots of people don't know this section of the book exists. I think it's uh, I think it's oft ignored or forgotten about um, because this one has got loads of stuff in it, which again, it's all optional, but you can do almost whatever you want. And it's quite nicely written to show you what's gonna happen if you make changes to your game, what the pros and cons are. It's got loads of suggestions uh, about how to alter things in your game and it kind of extrapolates what will happen as a result of that too. It's really interesting read. I, I, I've been through it a couple of times and I've always wanted to use one or two of the tweaks. Yeah. If you use them all, you'll have a very, very different game, but there's definitely some tonal shifts that you can get from quite simple things. And the reason I think that some people ignore this is because I see online all the time people asking, how can I make my game more low magic? How can I make it more deadly? How can I yeah, make yeah, it yeah. more of this, less of that? It's like there's a Dungeon Master's Guide. You'll never it's guess what it does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then nobody ever answers them saying, why don't you try turning to part three of the Dungeon Master's Guide and reading about it? <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, guess what? The thing I found funny, funny right at the beginning of chapter eight, we run the game, is it says, rules enable you and your players to have fun at the table. And I just don't think that's right. <laughs> like, can we not have fun without these rules? It feels very German. Well, well you say yeah. that it then actually gets into some really good advice. It just really tickles me that the first line is that if you don't have rules, you can't have fun. Yeah. But I, yeah, I sort yeah. of know what they're saying, but if, <laughs> yeah, it's just funny the way they've written it. Yeah. So it, it's good that it kind of gets into things as well that aren't uh, typically in D&D books, things like table talk and, and mm-hmm. having rules discussions and metagaming and that kind of thing that yeah. have always been there, but perhaps not uh, evaluated in the Dungeon Master's mm-hmm. Guide, something to think about before you start playing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good advice there as well, isn't it? It's the sort of stuff you can pick up over your years of just like through bitter experience about knowing what to do if, uh, if, uh, if Jenny doesn't show up that week and you've only got you know three players instead of four what do you do with her character um and there's loads of different things you could do with it and i've seen them all uh, but it's quite nice for the dmg to address it and they just say like you know here's some options you could do mm. this you could do that and this is what is what will happen that's actually good genuine advice what to do if someone shows up halfway through your campaign and says can i play too that's um good advice and it's full of stuff like that and it's um it's useful. It's quite late in the book for that. I, I honestly thought stuff like that would be a bit more front and centre before yes. inventing a multiverse. Yeah, yeah, I was going to bring that up actually. If you swap this with chapter two, I think yeah. you probably <laughs> got a better organised book, arguably. Yeah, probably. I mean, hark at us, like we're uh, we know better than wizards, but I think that this is good stuff for about how to run your game. It should be early for me. Yeah, I think so. We have had the experience now of looking at years of people asking questions about 5th edition. I don't recall many questions about who should I put in my pantheon, but there are lots of questions about, um, you know, what do I, can I run a, this adventure with only three people? Yeah, and that's that's a decent question. Or what happens if I've got eight players? Um, so it's addressed. It is addressed. It's there. Okay. Um, <laughs> then we've got a couple of pages about dice. I like dice. I don't know if I like them for a couple of pages. <laughs> I like dice. Well, the mentions <laughs> ignoring them, which assuming <laughs> skips over that paragraph. Uh, but I think it is good that it, it mentions both times. So it mentions rolling with it in terms of 
some DMs relying on dice rolls for almost everything and it gives the players a, an anchor so they know what's going mm. on uh, mm. and then also gives you an alternative approach where you can just kind of do your own thing as the DM a little bit as well so it, what I like about it is it's not just saying this is how you play D&D and, this, and you must roll dice on this occasion it's saying these are different approaches to how you play the game that people mm. do so it's calling yeah. them out and saying we don't really mind which one you use pick one yeah exactly and it's not a very prescriptive book is it it is a dungeon master's guide rather than a dungeon master's set of rules um and that that, i think that's nice i think they've they've covered a lot of bases here and it's sensible advice and you you can you can choose um some stuff they label as variants for example which seems to suggest that everything else is something you've got to have and that's not the tone i get at all but but anyway i think it's good stuff um the next bit of interest for me is um is there's a nice little section on advantage and disadvantage and that's because that was a new rule that came out in fifth edition and i think it's broadly accepted that it's a really clever rule um and it feels like it's been around forever but actually hasn't been um and it it just seems to fit really well is even people who don't really like D have adopted it for other games and um yeah it's a nice thing to have but it does need a bit of adjudication it simplified yeah. the game somewhat by not giving you loads and loads of modifiers, but it does mean you've got to think on your feet a little bit and remember that it exists and and kind of stack up a few different options in your mind at the table before you say whether it applies or doesn't. So it's kind of nice to see some some helpful advice on that. Yeah, and I think it is something that people just get excited about if they have advantage. Yeah, I, we play countless games, haven't we, over the the decades. Yeah. And you give someone a plus two and let they go, all right, yeah, cool, or whatever, and just then roll the dice to see whether it made a difference or not. But if you tell yeah. someone they've got advantage and they pick up an extra D20, they'll sort of get very excited about it. And similarly, yeah. when you say they've got disadvantage, players immediately all around the table sort of put on the black armbands and feel sorry for the player who <laughs> has to roll the extra bad D20, especially That's if it's right. Pete. But it's, yeah. it's that kind of, it's just got a better feel to it. Like, I mean, I could go into the maths and all the rest, but. I don't think there's any need to. I think you're right. It's good that it's in there, and it's it's something that you get an emotion out of at the table. So that's good. Mm. Yeah, I, I I quite like it. One of the really cool things about the advantage mechanic, it didn't strike me straight away, is if you forget to use it, you can retroactively do it really easily because you can mm. just roll the second d20. That's yeah. really clever. It's like, oh, I forgot that you were disadvantaged. Oh, it's okay. Just roll another d20. You don't have to like backtrack through the game and undo a bunch of stuff. That's right. You know, yeah. or apply modifiers. You can just roll the dice again. And as a GM as well, if you can keep a couple of dice behind your screen and physically hand them over, people love that. Get getting given the advantage die. It's it's all that kind of tactile stuff that um, that is just really appealing. I think it's a lovely rule. I remember when we had Rob Schwalb on, who was one of the designers of Fifth Edition. I think I'm right in saying that he was not a fan of advantage. We didn't press him on why not, but it was one of the things he he kind of was he fought against in the design room um, I, d- I don't really know why I might have to go back and ask him on that one actually because it seems to have almost universal acclaim yeah I think I mean I'm guessing I can't remember exact, the exact conversation I would guess with Rob he seems to want to get the numbers right and stuff and yeah. advantage doesn't do that it, it skews the numbers in a funny way Yeah. so I imagine probably from a purist point of view if you look at it you think that's not very elegant but mm-hmm. from a, a pure like if you don't look at the numbers too much just go I want a way of getting a bonus or a penalty. It it just feels right. Yeah. So it's it a does. case of um, cold hard facts over fuzzy feels inside, probably. I would guess. Yeah. 
Okay, so on the flip side of that though, the other uh, big innovation for fifth edition was inspiration. Um, Which everybody forgets about. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I'm going to suggest. It's madness. Well, it, it, who knew, right? So this is, a, this is a really good example of a rule that probably looked amazing. And anyone who's ever played a game that is not called Dungeons & Dragons will be going, oh, listen, we've been doing stuff like this for decades. Because this is a metagame currency, which mm -hmm. D&D really, really hasn't had in its history. Uh, and, and almost all other games have adopted a long, long time ago, whether it be Bennies or Hero Points or this, that or the other. Um, so for D&D to have it included was a really big deal. But guess what? I think you're absolutely right, mate. I, I just forget it's there. I just totally mm. forget it's there. and never give it out. Um, not not because I don't think people deserve it or whatever. It's just it gets forgotten about. And the players forget about it too and don't even ask for it or mention it. It just sits there as like an unwanted corner of the character sheet. And I've heard loads of groups say that as well. It's a shame. Yeah, and it's one of those, like the complaints that go for other games, like um, Savage Worlds, where you give out bennies, or you know, Fate, where you give out Fate chips and stuff like that. Hmm. It all feels a little bit like getting a skeeby snack for doing the right thing, and the gym going, "Well done, you've role played well enough. You can have a ticket," kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, there's yeah. a little bit of that to it that there's a bit mother, not mother mayor, but it's, it's, it's of that ilk where you have to do the right thing to get a pat on the head rather than just being a part of the game because that's true because the start of awarding inspiration it's, again it's one of these like corker one lines they've got at the start of a lot of their sections and it says think of inspiration as spice that you can use to enhance your campaign I think <laughs> that's probably overselling it I'm going to say it's not like <laughs> there's a lot more in this yeah. book that would say it enhances your campaign rather than the awarding of an inspiration yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think the original rules for it, because the other bit that gets forgotten on your character sheet is your bonds, your flaws, and your traits, and so on. If yeah. you use those, that's supposed to trigger you getting inspiration at all. I actually think inspiration is quite a nice little mechanic, because you yeah. can only have it either, you've, it doesn't stack, you've either got inspiration or you've not got it. There's yeah. a rule about you can give it to other people, which I think is a clever little thing you can do. And inspiration can turn off a disadvantage or provide an advantage. I think it's a really nice little tool. And I think for the next couple of pages, the DMG gives you loads of really cool things you can do with that inspiration mechanic. So it's obviously opened up a bit of design space. Um, there's loads you can do with it. The trouble is it gets forgotten to be used at all. And I think the designers probably thought this was gonna be a really big hit. I put, they probably didn't think advantage was going to be that big of a deal, and people love it. They thought inspiration was going to have like you know story gamers going, "Thanks for returning to the fold, D and D," and no one's bothered. <laughs> well, next time we have a D and D designer, we're going to have to ask him. I'm going to write that question down for uh, yeah. our next time. But yeah, I mean, it does have the, the bit in it which which you sort of alluded to about advantage earlier with the tracking inspiration, where it says mm. you can have a special inspiration D twenty that you hand out when someone uses yeah. it, they roll it and give it back again. So that, that kind of aspect's there. It feels like it should be more linked with advantage and disadvantage and used as much, if you mm. know what I mean. It feels like it should be a currency, but I, I guess, I don't know. It, you're right. I, I mean, I've played Fate, Savage, all kinds of things. We have to chuck tokens backwards and forwards across the table, but it's not one that seems to come out naturally in D&D. &D. Yeah. 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 But it's there if people want it. And um, yeah, I, I don't see any problem with it. It just doesn't seem to be backed as much by players I guess I don't know well I'm going to resolve to try and use it a bit more often uh, yeah it's there and, and perhaps you know 
just uh, poke the poke my next GM and say, don't forget it's a thing I bet you have forgotten. And then when I get it, like give it to somebody else, pass mm. it around a little bit because I think there's some interesting mechanical heft to it that yeah, it's a shame not to use. Right, what's next? I think we're really moving on to exploration and stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is one of the pillars of D&D, isn't there? Exploration, interaction, and fighting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think they've got the three big pillars of D&D. So we get to look at exploration a bit here. And um, people love maps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> love maps. <laughs> Who doesn't like a map? But saying it's one of the pillars, it seems quite light in terms yes. of what's there. Yes, it does. And it's one of my favourite pillars as well. I really like um, stepping over the horizon in D&D &D settings to see what's next. Going around corners in dungeons or coming out of forests. And I like that sort of sense of wonder. My favourite fantasy art is always sort of like big landscapes and sweeping mm. vistas. I do like that kind of exploration. And I like, I like poking away um, at seeing what the GM's got prepared what's what's in this adventure what's around that corner like pulling levers and seeing what happens it's all that kind of stuff uh, asking questions of NPCs to see what the answer is I think the exploration gene is what gets me kind of fired up more than anything else and my characters have always got a, a large element of curiosity about the world they're in um, yeah so so I I feel like you play in a similar way is that fair to say yeah I think so I like the idea of um, it's just sort of when you burst out of the jungle don't you and find that uh, ancient ruined temple that's not been yeah. discovered for many a, a generation or whatever and the sun's shining in a funny way dappling the the landscape in front of you and that kind of stuff and mm. I, I don't know it's, it's all that kind of like the, like I said a sense of wonder a little bit you want to try and bring out um, going places other people can't get to the inaccessible crags the and then standing on top of a mountain that you've defeated and looking at the vistas below you and discover yeah. the next place to go that, all that's pretty cool um, I'm not sure how much you do with that with role playing and there's not a lot really in the DMG to kind of say of what you should do about it there either no. it feels it no. feels a little bit of a shame there's not something more around it I think there possibly for me yeah it comes down to some movement rates doesn't it and some how long it will take you to get across hexes and that kind of thing um, and, and other D&D &D adjacent games have made a bigger deal out of this kind of stuff um, yeah. and D&D &D doesn't so it, it might be a stated pillar of the game but it's obviously one they feel that well you know you kind of don't need Wizards of the Coast permission to go exploring and you don't need any massive amount of mechanical heft to encourage or discourage that so you know I would argue it probably doesn't get done enough then in the game if they don't address it it tends <laughs> yeah. not to happen <laughs> So yeah, that's what I was going to go with it, I think. is It might be a stated pillar, but if you're not mechanically supporting it or not providing stuff for it, then it's not actually one of your pillars at all, you're telling whoppers. Yeah, uh, exactly. um, so if you look at something like the One Ring, that's got a, a separate journey mechanic in it. Mm. And something like 13th Age has the montages to get you across places. So, you know, I, I mean, D&D is what it is. I just feel a little bit of a shame if that was going to be one of their new pillars, that there wasn't a thing like that, or like either a yeah. subsystem or... A, like a, a bunch of tables you roll on to make something interesting. I guess you've got the the wilderness adventures where you go to. You go back to the mm -hmm. earlier bit in the book, and you make a wilderness adventure rather than having an exploration bit. But yeah, 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 it, it is, it's there. Okay, well the next bit's a bit chunkier. Not much chunkier. Social interaction, which mm. for which um, it has been decided some rules would be appropriate. Um, yeah, there's which is a massive topic of discussion in itself, really, isn't it? 
Um, social interaction is a massive part of all role-playing games. I can't think of a role-playing game where you, where you don't have that at, at one level or another. It's always a matter of taste, I think, as to how much you want to put into it. Some people like to speak in third person, don't they? they go like, my bard orders a beer. And other people want to know the name of the serving um, the serving person behind the bar and like you know how much how much the beer costs and how long they've worked there and will their daughter be showing up later and it's like oh my goodness I don't know <laughs> and it's going to just turn into a massive scene um, but um, there's always been a debate as to as to whether you should be rolling a d20 when you're talking to an NPC where do you stand on that debate Mr Gaz so like everything to do with roleplay it depends I mean, mm -hmm. me personally, I like having a bit of bounce. Um, I like talking, and I like, you know, the, a bit of interaction. It's getting that balance right between having some role playing in our role playing game and getting on with it. Uh, and then, you know, there's the old thing about: Do you want to even roll dice if you want to give the player some clues? Do you make them make a charisma check and then find out they failed it, so they can't have the clues now? And now, where does the adventure yeah. go? And that there's all those things to to stick into it. And I know people, some people, are just uncomfortable putting on silly voices or even trying. To have that so they'd rather just say uh, I asked them what the rumours are around here and then you roll some dice and give them some rumours depending on what they roll that kind of thing mm. I prefer there to be a bit of actual role playing in it and a bit of a story from someone sat by the fire or something like that to add a bit of detail having it as a social mechanic I don't think we've ever found a really good social combat mechanic or anything like that so no, I don't know I, I mean the, the rules as light as they are seem okay I don't really know what they're adding uh, for me personally I mean, some mm -hmm. people might want something around it. Uh, for me, I, for a D and D type game, I'm not sure whether we need, need all that. But it's not. No, I mean, it's hardly it, offensive. It's not really getting in the way or anything. No, they're not really. It's, it's not a social combat system, is it? Other games, no, not at all. Other games have included such a thing, and I think I don't know if it had a place in D and D or not. I think it's, maybe there's probably a supplement in it. I don't know. It's um, there's a few bits there about you know how how people start off friendly and different or hostile. I think that's an interesting way to play it. Whenever I've GM'd any game at all, I know whether my NPC is going to be, what kind of attitude they're going to have. Mm -hmm. It's I don't. Uh, it's difficult because players are always kind of a little bit aggressive, <laughs> no matter what you try and do. They're hardly ever. I don't think I've ever had an NPC change their mind about anything thanks to what a player has said. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's always been good fun to have the yeah. conversation. But it's, you know, an NPC is a little bit like a dungeon room. It's got a couple of exits, but it's largely immovable. Yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, maybe we I mean, my NPCs are generous. They always give out the clues. I've done the same, like in Savage Worlds and various other games, they have kind of like, you can roll and say, like, what's the starting position of this random NPC they've just met? And then right. try and move it a little bit. And I've never really bothered with that because, like, I'm more of the actual role playing bank. But maybe yeah. it is worth looking at that a little bit more and, and moving someone's. Attitude up or down as you do things and all the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, as you say, players are more likely to go in and poke them in the chest and go, "Where's the money for that last job?" Or we know there's a baddie right. here. Tell me who it is, rather than trying to persuade the way around the rupert Yeah, because you've got is D and D, so you've got a, a whole host of things you can do with your sword or your spell or your shield or whatever, right? So there's a combats and rolling initiative is earthy. When it comes to talking to people, if you look up and down your skill list, you will see like diplomacy and insight and intimidate and bluff. They are all there. In some ways, it looks like you've got more ways 
to interact on a rules mechanic with talking to someone than you have with swinging your sword. Mm. Um, so there is there's there's quite a few skill bits there, and I co- and I suppose that does encourage people to go you know I, I diplomacy the the baddie, um, <laughs> but but there's but we don't have then the equivalent of social hit points and the pacing mechanics and and armor classes and all of that kind of stuff to go with it. It's just a skill check. Um, I don't think the debate will ever be completely answered. I think it's going to be for tables to sort out. Yeah, and I think it's probably going to be where do you know what if you're speaking to the um the guy who's stabling your horses i haven't got many stats for it but if you're negotiating with the villain over uh, over a magical chessboard where the souls of the other players are are the bits on the chessboard then maybe we'll play it out a bit longer it can yeah. you can vary it within a, within a session or a scenario yeah yeah i think they've, they've covered it lightly enough that it's, it's just there if you you want to read it really yeah, they do talk about like um, how to portray NPCs and how mm. to use your voice and your gestures and your arms and and how to get real people engaged around the table. That's quite nice to do. It's nice yes. to see that written down. Interesting that this was all written before streaming became a massive thing because now you can just watch people do it, can't you? Yeah. So this is it's, it's weird, like trying to explain in text how to actually physically GM a session to get people engaged. <laughs> it mm. seems a bit old fashioned now to write it in a book. <laughs> Yeah, it's like dancing about architecture. And all that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, but there is some nice thing in there as well about engaging the players, and I think that's good. Yes, because, correct. Um, a long time ago, uh, the worst kind of D and D players were. It was encouraged, wasn't it, to be a Viking hat GM? Like my word is the law, and unless you say the right things to me, I will drop elephants upon you. Mm. And uh, you know, real pixel bitchy type of games, and it's like it's my game or the highway. And that's just not the way that humans should be interacting at all. <laughs> so you know, not when they're all trying to like you know have an entertaining evening. Um, mm. So it's quite nice to, that they say appeal to your player preferences. It doesn't say pander to them. It says appeal to them, and yes. I think that's correct. Yeah, no, I agree with all that. <laughs> then there's a weird little bit in objects. <laughs> like yeah. it's literally half a page. I never really knew how many hit points a loot had before now, but but now I know. <laughs> That used to be a big deal back in the early eighties. The reason it was a big deal is because uh, because items and objects used to have saving throws. So if you if you got hit by a fireball, this is this is typical of AD and D back in nineteen eighty one. You didn't particularly care that your your fellow players had been roasted and turned to to ashes, but you wanted to know if their magic items survived. Yeah. You wanted to know if you could pick them up or not. And you would have to work outwards. Like I remember, there was rules for you'd have to start with the saving throw for the ring because that's on the end of the hand, and it would eventually go down to like <laughs> your magic pants would be the last thing you'd have to save for. So you lose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but now it's actually going to the trouble of telling you that uh, <laughs> that glass has an armor class. Yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's there for completeness or something. I don't know. It certainly is. Yeah. Anyway, I hit, but... the, I hit the window with my mace. What happens? Well, it depends. I'd better check. <laughs> <laughs> Which let's move on there to combat. Yay! Good. I like fighting. Good, and I think the 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 key bit here is it says it builds on what's already in the player's handbook, so you're not getting yeah. the same stuff again. Which is good. It's new stuff. 
Um, I, this is clever stuff, though. This is this is real guidance about how to run a combat. A player's Handbook teaches you how to participate in a combat. Dungeon Master's Guide tells you how to run a combat, and I, mm. that's a skill, right? So, I I am constantly stumbling with like how to track initiative. If you've got like five, six players at a convention, and you've got all this stuff, like you forget to sit them all in the right order, and and how do you do it so you don't miss somebody out? And it just comes down to jotting it down on a piece of paper, which you think wouldn't be that difficult, but it's a mm. real stumbling block. So they give you actual clues here about how to do this and how to use index cards and, and just some different methods of doing it and, and just tracking stuff. Because as DM, you've got a lot on your plate and you've also got to be, you know, you, you get held to the same standard as <laughs> some kind of like personal computer. <laughs> People don't yeah. want you to get it wrong with the numbers, do they? Yeah. So yeah. it's useful. And they actually show you, you know, useful stuff for how to track a monster's hit points. That's really, that's good. I'm glad it's there. Never seen it before. I think the other thing here I'd quite like to see, and this is something I've noticed in D and D a lot actually, um, yeah. in terms of online stuff and all that. There's still a heavy bent, it seems, with D and D for the DMG to have a specific role, and it's up to the DMG to do X, Y, and Z. And there's a lot of that goes on. Mm-hmm. And what it would be nice to have here is just a one liner saying. Or let one of your players keep track of the initiative, but it's true. It, it's something they yeah. definitely like have a thing about in D and D still. Like the DMG has his role and responsibilities, and yeah. tracking initiative is one of them. And I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd just like to say, like, or because you're doing all this other stuff, get one of your players to do the initiative for you and shout it out. I think that'd be. It's not a big thing, but it'd be good just to see them turn the corner a little bit on that kind of stuff as well, democratize things a little bit more. Yeah, uh, well, do you know what? They mention it, mate. I've just found it. Oh, I did too. <laughs> yeah. Variation on the visible. Give one player responsibility for keeping track of initiative. They mention it. It's a, it's a throwaway comment. But you are right, mate. The whole tone of D&D is still that there is a, a cardboard screen separating out all of the roles. Yeah. You know? So, you know, for example, when we were talking before about social interaction and all that kind of stuff, it is still massively up to one person to decide on the speed of the game, the throttle, the the tone, all of the stuff. It says, you know, appeal to your player preferences, but it's but it's also really saying, and also it's your game, so that's you that. get to decide how everything rolls, which is is that's for some people to go, yeah, cool, more responsibility. I wonder if that puts people off though. I know that some people find the idea of DMing a game from scratch quite intimidating, and and being the being the master of all they survey can be actually quite a big step up for some people could be off-putting yeah I think it is as I say I think the general tone feels like there's a lot of stuff saying this is your responsibility to get right mm-hmm. yeah and just possibly for D&D 6 when that comes out to, to be a little bit more egalitarian about it and saying amongst things that you almost consider your table I don't know yeah. way better than that yeah, yeah, but it'd, it'd just be good to have a bit more like Take that pressure off the G- uh, the DM, like you say, to be it's not yes. all down to you. It's a thing that needs to happen, but make it less about and you must do this. Yeah, exactly. I think. Okay. Uh, right. Next up, the what has been in previous editions highly contentious for one reason or another. It goes into the use of miniatures, mm. which you could probably do four or five podcasts on, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Because some people still, still, I think, believe that miniatures are like the devil's work when it comes to role-playing games, and well, other people see them as as being like an absolute necessity. And it's not an RPG if you can't paint something and stick it on a gridded map in the middle of you all. And then there's, there's normal people in the middle, aren't there? Yeah. So, um, uh, but I mean, D and D's always been seen as the poster child for miniatures-based play. Um, 
and uh, sometimes it's emphasized it more than other times it doesn't massively emphasize miniature use in this current edition no but it does go to the trouble of spelling out how far away everything is in feet and inches it's quite specific so mm. it, it's you know even if it doesn't say you've got to have a miniature it's written for those people who want to use them it is square by square you know there's a couple of pages what I find I find quite interesting about it is that most of the rules about using miniatures are then optional rules yeah, it feels yeah. like if you're using miniature rules then you probably want to use flanking and facing and all these other things because otherwise why are you yeah. bothering with miniatures I would yes. uh, have suggest but. yeah 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 There's uh, we've seen this, these words come up a few times haven't we there's been variant has been used and optional rule has been used yeah uh, is it not all optional at this stage I don't know yeah <laughs> is it because it's optional because the Wizard of Coast aren't going to come around and tell you what to do but in this guide there's um it kind of the tone does change occasionally between like here's some ideas you can pick some of these or use your own thing to here's some optional stuff and we'll flag it up as that and I, there would have been a, a design decision there I mean, we've spoken to mike mason before haven't we about cthulhu and about mm. how he's put stuff into spot rules because when it was an official rule there was some resistance to it but when it was a spot rule everyone went this is brilliant and it's the same rule yeah. <laughs> it's just siloed it's got slightly differently yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, miniatures are what miniatures are. I kind of like them, but I don't use them for everything. And if yeah. I do, I don't use a grid so much these days. I just use them for like you know rough sort of zonal stuff, really. Then we've got an interesting bit, haven't we? Because we've got chases. Right. Shall we start the chase discussion that we have like we've had fifty thousand times before? <laughs> yeah, not quite as many times <laughs> as the grappling discussion, but <laughs> we don't we don't talk about grappling, but we do bemoan the lack of decent chase rules in any role playing game ever, don't we? A lot. Um. I think they just end up being like extra subsystems and then you're playing a different game almost and then you feel unsatisfied that it's not that good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These these chase rules are um they're just like chase rules you find in most games. They are um they are one step beyond make it up as you go along. Uh but they're not enough to make a mini game out of, I don't think. No. There's a there's a handy chart for urban chase and wilderness chase complications. And those are all kind of cool, um, and it's got some it's got some ideas in there, but it, it feels a little bit half baked, but only in the sense of the same way they dealt with social interaction and miniatures and everything else. It's just like here's here's an article essentially for you about yeah. what you could do if you want to, and um, use it or lose it. You know, it's up to you. So I don't think they made a massive deal out of it. Uh, it it's just kind of like randomly in there, isn't it? After miniatures, let's let's just talk about chases there's no segue at all is there <laughs> and the big part of it seems to be chase complications where it's got a couple of tables you can roll on first stuff mm. that might come up uh, and it mentions uh, it's only a little paragraph but it does say design your own chase tables if you're doing something else so I like that idea at least that it's I think all it's doing is introducing the idea that in your D&D games you might have some chases at some point which is not necessarily something you'd think about but you know why not being a, a dwarven minecart in, a la Indiana Jones Temple of Doomsdale or something if you really want to so mm. it, it's enough to give you the idea without um, there being too much to actually have to deal with there I think I mean I love chases I love 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 them I don't see them happening in games enough they're my favourite scenes in movies they're always really exciting I, I, I think and wish there could be more I've tried to really encourage them in anything that I've written and I've, I've not mastered how to do it not at all 
but I love the ideas behind them, and I think loads of good stuff can happen. Maybe it's just that you know turning it into a mini game isn't isn't the right approach at all because I don't think many games have ever really got it right. Um, and you can have all kinds of mechanical stuff has been tried, like secret bidding and cards and using lined paper and putting things down on the table to represent closing distances and all this and all that. But it's still never been as exciting as watching James Bond running through a Turkish market with like you know the agent suspector on his heels. It's just you don't get that from you it. Can't, at all, okay. do you? Yeah. Nah. Nah. Right. Well, leaving chases behind and talking about bad segues. What's the next obvious thing you would find in a Dungeon Master's Guide immediately after chases? Yet you okay. guessed it, listeners. It's <laughs> siege equipment. <laughs> 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 that would be the end of a chase wouldn't it in a hurry you round a corner and there's a dirty great ballista looking at you oh well I guess it had to go in the book somewhere well, did it I don't know if it had to I but don't know. It, it's just a page of siege equipment there's no talk about like how to have a siege or like or how to design scenarios around it or what player characters could do if they were laying siege to an enemy city um, which would be cool advice to have and there's got to be loads of great scenarios in war but you doesn't hope. get addressed at all but now we know how many hit points a manganella's got so I'm the... satisfied <laughs> that was the exact example I was waiting to bring up I didn't care about how many hit points a loot had I have even less interest in manganella's hit points or the fact that it's immune to psychic damage I mean that's well, it's good to know good to know it's, I suppose when you're being chased by a mind flayer and you hide behind a manganel, you need to know that. <laughs> well, you don't want someone casting like charm trebuchet when you're unaware of what the potential <laughs> is, do you? Uh, uh, which, <laughs> oh, Christ, it, it neatly leads us into the thing that comes as an inevitable con- consequence of war and siege: diseases. <laughs> it does. Diseases and poisons. In which are classics of the fantasy genre, aren't they? And um, this, this, you know, one of my favourite all-time books is the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Dungeon Master's Guide. It was the best Christmas present I ever had, and it was really good for opening at random pages and finding out like what poisons there were in the world and what diseases you can inflict upon people and so on. And this feels a little bit like those old days because we've got to the section of the book now where you can just go, here's the random stuff at the bottom of the bin. That we felt we had to wedge in there somehow, um, but you know, diseases, <laughs> diseases are great fun for GMs and no fun at all for players. And frankly, when you've got a couple of paladins knocking around and clerics, they're of no consequence to your game either anymore after about third level. So, <laughs> thanks very much for trying. Probably not going to get a huge amount of use. So. We get given a few samples, really. In fairness, it's a few samples, and it, it gets pretty short shrift, doesn't it? It's, I'm, I'm thankful that we don't have 42 pages of bubonic plague and infecta- inf- in incubation times and, and yeah. how, how to go through hospitals. It's it's not exactly applying the realist to it. I'm glad. Um, and it's sort of similar with poisons, really, isn't it? I mean, the only question you've ever got for poison is, like, can the players get hold of any, really? Yes, yeah. that's the question you want answered. And there is a bit on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then the skull pages on madness as well, which yeah, yeah, going mad turns up next. And there's different effects that you might suffer from as long term madness, which I'm not really sure how that fits into a D and D game. But well, uh, I think the reason it's there is it's 
they'll come back to this later. If you turn the dials on your campaign and you decide you want to like up the horror quotient a little bit, then that's like an option. That's like a little, um, right. a little widget you can drop into your game. Uh, this game uses madness. This game uses fear. I think there's a few things on that still to come. Gotcha. And most most campaigns will probably not touch it whatsoever. Um, uh, but if you if you fancy a sort of a Cthulhu element to your D and D, you could just okay. go. Oh, I'm pressing the madness on button, and now my game's different. So from that perspective, it, it's it's fairly short, isn't it? Like most of these things have only been a page or two with some tables. Um, it's there if you want it, but it is wedged in with siege machinery and poisons and chases. <laughs> so, <laughs> and all this is just before experience points. We haven't had that yet, which you would have thought would be more important. Well, yeah, exactly. Experience points is like you know that's um, that's what that's one of the touchstones of D and D, isn't it? Mm. XP. Um, and uh, yeah, and you get some stuff for for how to deal them out, uh, milestones, uh, how to advance levels without using variants, stuff about them. I mean, it's quite good to see. But um, yeah, again, it's it's just in this like this bag of holding they've got at the end where you have to like put your put your arm into it and like wiggle it about and see what you pull out. Oh, I found some XP rules. Interesting. <laughs> there are some decent bits in that there with the. The XP rules in terms of, for example, level advancement without XP. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's good that they're sort of exploring different ways of doing stuff. I'll probably give a shout out to the art as well at this point because there's a bit with uh, a bunch of characters looking over a map and it feels like they are actually in a bit of a dungeon bash at the minute and working out where to go next and stuff. And the, the whole book, I think we mentioned last time, is peppered with this kind of stuff where it's more about adventuring parties seem to be like salted throughout all the pages which give you an idea of yes. like adventures you might be going on so that's all cool now that's a really fair point actually guys and we, we've got to be we've got to mention it haven't we it's, it's a good looking book it's a really good looking book it's actually really well written you, you can argue about the content as to whether it should be bigger or smaller or addressed at all or which bits they haven't addressed but this is a good book and it is packed mm. it, it's it's a, it's a decent read and I guess if you don't if you don't get something out of a section, you can move fairly swiftly through to the next one. But there is art on almost every page, not quite every page, but they're big, colourful, really dynamic, really sort of diverse subject matters by lots of different artists as well. It hasn't just got one tone all the way through it. Sure. Um, and it, and it's nice. It's really nice. And I, I mean, we're about to hit chapter nine, and it's got like a full page spread in front of it of an undead horde, and there's like a against griffins and it looks like a bit like a sort of battle of a five armies type affair and it's a big yeah. sweeping kind of war battle which is really cool really difficult to pull off in D&D ironically but there you go <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you, you mentioned chapter 9 the Dungeon Master's Workshop is the next bit yeah this is the bit where you really can you know this this tells you how to how to write your own game essentially how to how to tweak things and pull all the widgets apart so you kind of got to know how D and D works for this chapter to really make sense for Correct. you. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've tried a bunch of these over time. Some of them I really like. Some of them I thought would work really well and just sort of fizzled away in normal play. Um, but what it says here is, uh, if you're going to do house ruling, which used to be an expectation, I think, because D and D was missing a bunch of stuff. But now D and D is really complete. You probably don't need to house rule, but if you want to. It just asks yourself. It just says, ask these two questions: Will the rule improve the game? 
and B, will my players like it? And you've got to be confident that you're yes on both of those before mm. you try stuff. Um, and I like that because because it, the temptation to house rule before you've tried rules as they're written is, is can sometimes be quite overwhelming. Um, but I mean, this is a well-tested game. There's 175,000 play testers. Hmm. <laughs> that's, that's quite a few. Um, so it goes into stuff that you can do to change it. Um, it's it's all interesting. I've used some parts. It's worked. Some parts hasn't so much. Yeah, I think it's it's all good. Like I think <clears throat> to reinforce your point, there's definitely an element of make sure you know how to play D and D first before you start adding or chucking these away, because otherwise you'll you'll end up in a right mess. Basically, well, you might end up with a perfectly good game, but it'll be more by luck than judgment. You're better off knowing yeah. how things work in the first place and then tweak it with a bit of knowledge. But yeah, there's there's all kinds of bits and pieces in there about all kinds of stuff and it, it, it's the bit where I think we spoke to um, to Mike and Kate about this when they were on but the, some of the art even has got like a bit sci-fi and a bit mm-hmm. you know a little bit like guns and things like that in there so there's bits about explosives and all the things if you wanted to go like really off the wall with D&D and not make it a fantasy game anymore there's just some ideas there about how to sort of like really take it um, to the next level with antimatter rifles and ninja stars and stuff yeah exactly yeah and, and and you can it even gives you things like new ability scores honor and sanity which used to get entire source books to themselves and that's just not needed anymore because if you want to do a game that has sanity in it as we were talking about before with madness you can add sanity in you can put the fear option in there the horror module attach that to your game and then you've got quite a sort of a horrific fantasy game which goes all the way back to those early chapters doesn't it where it said what sort of campaign do you want to have does it want to be freewheeling high magic low magic it's got all of the variants for healing in here. So the answer to all the people who want to know how to make a more deadly game is page 266, where it walks you through all of the options for making your game more or less deadly um, and all the variants that you can apply to it. I think it is, it's a genuine nice little toolkit chapter. And for those people who really like to monkey about with the systems, it's all in there. And then they, they pick apart uh, combat, as you would imagine, even more so. And, and get into the nuts and bolts of how stuff works um, and giving you stuff like um, injury tables and massive damage options and morale stuff that at some points has been quite a big deal in D&D and at other points has drifted away they've just chucked it all back into the toolbox yeah. and, and said yours if you want it yeah that's good and, um, and then they finish up <coughs> with some real creative stuff about how monsters are built not something I've ever really done um, but they give you all of the guidelines for how to construct your own monsters. The only reason I've not really ever done it before is because I've got like 15 monster manuals. So I've never yeah. really found myself short of monsters, to be honest. But it's there. I can't speak to whether it works or whether it's balanced or, or, or really what happens with it at all. But they give you all of the components for like generating up your own stuff, either monsters or spells or NPCs. Not something I've played with massively myself. Yeah, the thing I like about it is that one of the complaints with D&D generally is that you can get the player's handbook and then the DMGs arguably, you know, you, do you need that? Probably just one person does. Then a monster manual. And, and, you know, some people, when they want to get the friends to the game, have to buy three big hardback books and are a bit upset mm. about it. So having a feature in the DMG that allows you to make monsters up without having to buy the monster manual straight away as well, if you need yeah. to it, I think that's useful. Um, and I also like the idea that if you want to do your own homebrew setting or you've got an idea about 
you're best on a set of books or some other thing that you've read or a TV series, you've got the tools to, you know, create your own monsters and make them reasonably okay from a rules point of view with everything else that goes on in the game. Yeah. So it's nice to have in there. Like I said, I think, as we've mentioned with all these other things, it's not like a massive amount there. It's bigger than some of the other sections. There's like sort of eight to ten pages on it, but it's good just to have the detail of, from a design point of view as well, if you're thinking, how does this game fit together and what did they do with it? to give you a bit of that mm. peek behind the curtain to kind of go, well, how does all this fit together? Um, and that's kind of it for the main part of the book. It's rounded off with four appendices. Um, Appendix A is random dungeon creation, which which, is, which works. I've tried it a few different times. I remember getting really lost in the Advanced Dungeon Dragons book because I couldn't make it work at all. I'd just end up like starting position on my piece of graph paper and immediately I'd be like taken to a second sheet and never come back to the first one <laughs> just ne- never quite lined up right but um, I've used this one a few different times just to see what happens a bit of lonely fun rolling some dice and getting you you know sketching stuff out it, it genuinely works it's, it's really nice there's a good random dungeon generator it's got all the little widgets and bits in it too uh, and gets down to the level of like you know what would you find in a mage's chamber? There's a furnishings table. Tables to roll on. I don't think you can go wrong with tables to roll on. And these ones are pretty good. Um, and it definitely fires the imagination. So there's loads to love in the random dungeon generator. And again, like you've just said about making up your own monsters and stuff, it's good to have that there because this definitely gives you the sense that you're the dungeon master, do what you like, get creative, you're the, you're the one in the group who's taken on what is a bit of a burden, but you can have a lot of fun doing it. And here's some actual genuine support. If you you really if your brain is tired, get your dice out, start rolling, start making some notes, and we'll get you back into D and D before the night is out. And it, and it does. It it works. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the next bit's about monsters as well. So you can stock your newly created dungeon with a list yep. of monsters, um, yep. which I think's all good. I do notice we, we sort of skipped a little bit there, Baz, at the end. Oh, did we? Uh, before the appendix, yeah, there's a bit on um, characters and, and the slightly different ways of creating your characters. Oh, I, you, you're probably right. You will be right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's what you get for having your pages stuck together. <laughs> <laughs> you really enjoy your DMG, don't you? <laughs> I really do. Well, I skipped the creating a magic item bit and just kept going. Yeah, new character options, new races, new classes, new stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's quite a big job inventing a whole class from whole cloth. Yeah. Um, but they give you the tools to do it here, don't they? Yeah, I just thought it was worth mentioning in case anybody in internet land shouting at us. But we, yeah. we are aware it's there. Uh, and it's pretty similar to all the other chunky bits that, that came forward. Yeah. Not chunky. Lightweight bits, I meant. And there's, yeah. there's enough to get you interested without being overbearing. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So sorry, to flip back to our appendices then, after you've got a dungeon and you've got some monsters to fill it with, uh, there's a really nice set of maps, isn't there, as the last appendix? Yeah. Yeah, these are, these are definitely a bit of a grab bag. Uh, there's you know a, a dungeon that's completely unkeyed, so you can fill it up the way you want to. There's some taverns and windmills. Reminds me of the first edition Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay book that was really yeah. good at giving you the bits and pieces you might just need in a pinch. I mean, arguably, in today's day of the internet and all of that kind of stuff, maps you can grab within five seconds if you've got your computer up and running. Yeah. But even so, it's 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 a nice goodwill gesture to put some nice colourful things in there. And I've not seen them used by people too often, but I wonder if there could be like a nice little adventure put together just using the stuff in the DMG. 
Probably. I think they're probably. I think there is enough there. I think they've given you plenty. They've not assumed that you're going to go off and buy loads of other things to get your game on. To be fair, if you've got the DMG, the Player's Handbook, and the Monster Manual, you've got enough for decades of stuff to go on. Yeah, and I think this is one of those where we've kind of got to think again, pretending that we're coming to this new and not having played yeah. D&D before, that we might not know the internet's full of maps. If you're new to this, True. it might be a revelation to you that there's actually thousands of other people out there drawing maps in their own free time and giving them away for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you might yeah, assume you have to buy true. map books or something. So to actually get some and let you know that you could go and look and this is a thing that you will find on the internet, I think that's quite cool. Yeah, and and it is a little bit old school in that sort of sense as well because the last appendix is Dungeon Master Inspiration, which is a list of books, actual books, made out of paper and card that you can go and read. Um, and there's a couple of little games in there too. Uh, and this is this follows on from the famous appendix N in the original DMG which had all of Gary Gygax's inspirations. This is um, there, There's loads of internet articles if you want to go and find it where people have compared the lists and seen what's gone off the list and what's come onto the list because stuff about fantasy, the genre, has moved on a lot since the early 70s because mm. it's 45 years ago now, in fairness. Um, and it's a one-page list. Uh, I've not read everything on that list. I don't suppose many people have, but, um, but I, I think that looks nice. There's all kinds of good things in there. And it's not just the big trilogies of fiction you've got little bits in there about other role-playing games that get mentioned and some advice books like uh, stuff like Robin Laws as well as in there and Graham Walmsley about how to use improvisation in your game I think it's an interesting list of inspirations yeah and you've even got like stuff like Microscope that's in there which is a proper indie game if I'm allowed yeah. to call it such a thing which is Absolutely. interesting to say that it's a you know D&D 5th edition that that's given all the text that we've just read through that that is one of the yeah. inspirations for this book, but it is a you know, Microsoft's really good at burning a world as they would call it. So if you want to create yes. a dungeon or a world for your adventure, and then that's definitely a good inspiration. But probably something that I don't know, in the nineteen seventies when D and D came out, nobody would have even thought of having as a resource. Yeah, this is a pair to a list that was also in the player's handbook, which is just designed to get you into the idea of like wizards and dragons and forests. This is about like how they say it's up. How can you become a better storyteller, writer, performer, and map maker? Which really, it's almost the last page in the book, but they're kind of giving away the game there, aren't they? Because that's what a DM has to do. You've got to be a storyteller, a writer, a performer, and a map maker. It's quite a lot to ask for. Does this book help you do that, Gaz? What's your verdict on the Dungeon Master's Guide now we've got all the way to the index? Yeah, I'm looking at the back of it. I mean, I've still got that. A beam me bonnet about the, the big red text at the back says entertain and inspire your players <laughs> and I don't think it's just down to you to do that as DM but that's no. put to one side because I'm never going to let it go so I'll just put that down for a minute um, I think it's good, I think that there's a lot in there that can help you Like as we discovered last episode we, we started rolling some tables and we got some ideas together and then there's some more stuff yeah. later on as we've now been through that will help us populate a dungeon and put some magic items in it and think about what to do in between going adventuring and various other bits and pieces mm. it's quite hard to think if I was a new player or a new GM a new DM even what would I do with all this because we've got so much weight of all the things we've done for decades but I think yeah. that's actually if you look at the book and read it through and pick and choose the chapters you don't have to know how many hit points a trebuchet's got or anything like that but there's good stuff in there to get you going I think what about you uh, I'm a fan 
I, I like Dungeon Master's guides. I've never been. I just I, I can't I can't I can't say I'm arrogant enough to think I wouldn't need one. Um, and I've always gotten something out of reading and listening to other people tell me how how the game can work in different directions and what they can do and what they can't do. This this book builds itself as inspiration and guidance, and it it delivers both of those things. Mm. It just does. I don't think it's possible to like every single thing in it because it's a bit of a grab bag, um, and a discerning reader will probably like bits we didn't like and not like bits that we did, and that's fine. It's pretty hefty, and you have to drop a fair amount of change on it as well if you want to own it. And I can completely see why it doesn't get bought as often as a player's handbook does, or even as a monster manual. I'll never have the sales data, but I'm pretty confident it's the number three bestseller out of those three books. Mm. Um, just just by dint of there are fewer Dungeon Masters than there are players. Um, but I think it's a quality book, and I think what's interesting about it is that all the other Dungeon Masters guides for the previous editions have tackled exactly the same subject, and they've all come out quite differently you would think actually that Dungeon Master's advice and guidance would not change from edition to edition. But interestingly for me at least, I think it does. Um, and this one strikes a really good balance between telling you, do what you like, and telling you, but if you do that, this is what might happen. Mm. So I think I referred to it last show as a bit of a hacker's toolkit, and I, I, I stand by that. I think it is advice and guidance rather than in any way um, a you must do this kind of book. And I think it succeeds in its goals. I think it's yeah, it's worth looking at with some critical thinking. It's easy to brush over why something's a variant rule or an option rule or things like that. And I think it bears a little bit of reading those sort of bits and then putting the book down for a second and just having to think about it. I think, well, why is that an option yeah. rule? It's quite easy to form a, a snap decision on these things, isn't it, or an opinion mm -hmm. and go, well, I'd have made that a normal rule. Why is it optional? It should just Everybody should do that. But I think if you sit down and have a think about why they're optional and how other people might play it, it'll give you little neurons that fire in your brain about how to play or why you would do that only sometimes or that kind of thing. So it's good for that. Yeah. A, a thinking DM's book almost that it, you know, there's probably more in there than you think just by taking a step back from it and trying to consider why the options are there where they are or... Um, having a look at those rules like it showed you how to build your own monsters or a character class or something mm. just having a look at them and thinking how it's put together and then looking at what's in the player's handbook I think gives you a deeper understanding of the tapestry of the game as a whole yeah I think it's well worth a look if you can get hold of a copy I, I would recommend you do so I think there's a feeling that you don't need it well it's a hobby do you need any of it hmm and there, there might also be a feeling that you can get all of this advice and all that kind of stuff for free just by looking up stuff on the internet and reading people's blogs and what have you yeah you can but this is from the horse's mouth and the, and the people who've written this we've not really gone through the credits on it but these guys have been living and breathing running games of Dungeons and Dragons for decades um, they're no fools and this, this really does read like the accumulated wisdom of people who've been through a lot of sessions both creating stuff, running stuff for all kinds of different audiences as well and it just seems like a very generous parcel of advice um, so I think, you know, grab it even if you're not a D&D &D player obviously the utility is going to be slightly less for some parts of it but there's still some really good golden advice in there that you could apply to, to any kind of action adventure game almost no matter what the genre so I think there's something in there for most people to get something out of yeah, I think it's good. Um, support the hobby. Buy it. 
Why wouldn't you? <laughs> I'm, for, I'm forever buying game books I don't need with money I don't have so maybe yeah. take that advice with a pinch of salt but yeah I, I don't think we've been through it and, and either of us is looking at it going this is bad or you know no. this is terrible the worst we can do is just look at bits and say we don't need those but you know no there's lots of pages we did no. quite like so yeah We're... if you are using the siege equipment do let us know <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to know how that worked out for you. Because I don't know, I don't know how many hit points a castle's got. So <laughs> I, I know what it costs to build, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's curious. I wonder what else will come out in the future that then ties back to this. And I, yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Let's see if we can get some D&D designers on again in a couple of months and ask them some of yep. these important questions. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's... um. It's if we step outside of D and D for a little bit. D and D kind of like um, innovated the three core book model that not many other games really go with. But D and D's always split it up into here's something for the players, here's two books for the for the DM, um, and you know not GM but DM. Most other games chuck it all into one volume, don't they? Mm. So most games do have the equivalent of a dungeon master's guide, but sometimes it's just one chapter in a book. And what D&D doesn't do is give you a whole bunch of setting. And that's what other games do. So I always still find it really interesting that D&D merits a hardback book, which is definitely core, and sits alongside the player's handbook and the monster manual is the thing you must have. It's still a really expensive game to pick up if you just go for those three books. And I have a feeling that's why maybe not everyone picks up this one. And if they don't, I think they're missing out. Yeah, possibly. I mean, the thing that seems to be happening in the industry at the minute is you'll get the one big fat book and then you'll get a separate player's guide for whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, so people yeah, just yeah. buy the player's So de facto, the other bit then has got all three books in one. Um, yeah. But with the additional material being both the DMG and the best room and whatever else. So, mm. yeah, that that seems to be our way of the people doing it. I don't know. I think this might be one of those iconic things as well, isn't it, with, with Dungeons & Dragons now that if you didn't have a Dungeon Master's Guide, people would be asking where it is. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Uh, my prediction is that the sixth edition of D and D won't have a dungeon master's guide, and it won't do a three book model in hardback. It, I don't know what it will be, but I think it will be done differently. Genuinely, I have a feeling that this might be the last time we see that advanced dungeon dragon style. Um, only only Mike will know at this point, and, I, and if he does know, I doubt he'd tell us. But maybe, we'll see. <laughs> well, he might tell us, but we can't tell the listeners. I mean, it's, it's a vicious circle. <laughs> <laughs> It is. Okay, right. Well, we're well over time, so thanks for bearing with us. We put a lot of hours into this DMG so that you didn't have to. So, But now you, you should. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining us on this journey through um, through uh, through this book. Uh, five years it took us to get to it, and it only took us five years to explain it. Um, maybe we'll circle around and have a look at some other books in such depth in the future. If you've got nominations, if you want us to, to tackle something that's long form and We'll pick it apart chapter by chapter and and uh, and see how it all shakes out. Let us know. Let us know through the normal ways. Uh, you can reach us through our blog. You can reach us through Twitter. That's probably the easiest thing to do, to be honest. Or our Facebook page, where you can find us at What Would the Smart Party Do? We're not hard to find, so just uh, tell us what you want, and we'll see what we can deliver up. Yeah, do keep in touch, guys. The Smart Party at Hotmail is our email address and all the other things that Baz has already mentioned. Uh, thanks for giving us a mention, sharing the podcast round, tagging in our guests and telling them how great it was. All that kind of stuff just helps with the gaming goodness of the community. It does. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on What Would the Smart Party Do? 
Ciao for now. Thank you.